Hello, my name is Carlos and I'm an alcoholic. And um, first and foremost, I want to thank the committee and um, that's very graceful of you to invite me. And um, I want to thank my husband for driving me all the way up here. Um, you know, it was like driving Miss Daisy up here <laughs> to visit with you guys. Um, I want to also want to thank my cousin for coming to hear my story and bringing the children. You know how we Latino people come, you know, there's a bunch of us. We don't come one or two, you know. Um, but they're very special to me. They are very, I mean, I love them because of the fact them. I would have missed all of them. I would have never met them. They would have never known who I am. I would have never known the beautiful people that they are. And um, so I thank you guys for giving me my life, you know, and allowing me to be standing in front of you, clean and sober and old for all this time. My God. <laughs> ah. You know, I feel like, like ruined finery at this point, you know. Try to tell you my story about what happened, what it was like, what you know, what what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. So, I know. I'm sorry. How how long do I speak? When do I stop? Okay, you let me know. Thank you. You're so sweet. I love people being sweet to people in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, if there's anything that I say to you tonight, I hope that you remember to be nice. You know. <laughs> Just be nice to one another in these meetings, you know. Just be nice. You know, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is a program that's weaved by love. It is not weaved by people telling you what to do and how to do it. It is not weaved by reading people, however well-intended that is. It is by loving people that we lure them into staying here. And thank you to our speaker. I didn't get a chance to say thank you to you. That was a lovely story. I love that you have more time than me. And um, thank you for your beautiful story. I love that story about the chair. Um, <laughs> it's only in Alcoholics Anonymous that you throw a chair at, at people and then they still invite you to come back. <laughs> They're like, okay, she was a little crazy last night, but keep coming back, honey, keep coming back. <laughs> In other places, they will be like, don't come back. We don't want your crazy ass over here anymore. Sick of it. So anyway, um, so I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I've been, uh, my sobriety date is October 19, 1991. That is a long time in October. This year, I'm going to be 28 years sober. I know, uh, just moisturize, 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 you know. And use your middle finger, because it's the less strong. I'm just saying about applicating, you know, the cream on your face. Don't get me in trouble. Anyway, I know my cousin is like, uh, they know how salty I am, so I'm going to try to keep it clean, and I don't think, I don't know, am I, am I, can I say bad words or no bad words? Okay, fuck it, then. So... Anyway, so I, um, I got sober in 1991. My sponsor is the fabulous David Miramontes. He's a big strapling man. He's wonderful. He's taught me how to be.
but I love him. He's been my sponsor for like 26 years. Uh, my grand sponsor is Don Norman. He says, he says, he says hello to you. He says, tell him I said hey. Um, he called me to remind me yesterday not to fuck up, you know, because that's what he says. Don't fuck up, sugar. And I'm like, okay. Um, and let's see. I. And that's the the, the general statistic. To get old, you know, you guys didn't tell me, but it's okay. So that's good. It's good. It's really good, you know. Um, Anyway, so, and, um, so I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I'm originally from Nicaragua. I'm from Central America. I come from a long line of, you know, alcoholics and crazy people. There's a lot of um, history of alcoholism in both sides of my family and mental illness, too. Um, I, you know, my father was an alcoholic and... I always say that he, you know, he was a very good-looking Latin man, and he loved to chase the ladies and drink. And um, my mom liked to take pills and chase him, you know. And this is in the 70s, you know, before the advent of drugs and the street drugs, you know. She, but my mother would like to take pills, and you know. And, but also in the middle of all that, too, my father was a wonderful alcoholic in the sense that he was not violent, like so many stories that I heard. He never met, he never hit us. He never hit my mother. You know, and there was a lot of, uh, my mother had 14 brothers and sisters, so there was a lot of family around us, um, a lot of cousins, a lot of, you know, aunts, a lot of dancing, a lot of eating, a lot of drinking, you know. Um, but it was also a lot of good stuff, you know. I just, um, it was, uh, like they used to say, there was a lot of horseshit mixed in with an ice cream, you know. Um, and... So I grew up in that household. I have a couple of sisters and an older brother. And, you know, I, I, I grew up and, you know, I knew that um, on my father's side of the family, my great-grandfather died of alcoholism in the streets of Managua when he was in his mid-30s. He was an aristocrat and apparently he dropped dead and left my great-grandmother and her five children, you know, destitute and alone because of alcoholism. I didn't know that anything had that anything to do with me. I just thought there were some stories. Um, and, you know, what I, and what happened, everything. I was a very sensitive child. I know it's very difficult to imagine, but I was also very, very pretty. And, um, <laughs> And my poor daddy didn't know what the hell to do with me. He just didn't. You know, he was this big macho man, and there I was, honey, just hearing the disco sounds, you know. And, it, like, the, all the adults used to get together and have the children dance in the middle, and I'd be like, hey. And my, and my daddy would be like, oh, Dios mío. And... But he never said anything bad to me, though. I mean, I always tell people, at least he didn't say anything bad to me. He never, you know, told me I was going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. He never called me names. None of that stuff. Thank God. So, um, <clears throat> but anyway, but I did know he did not like me. And I had my first alcoholic resentment, which is, you know, if I perceived anything that's wrong, um, I will hold you against, I will hold it against you forever, you know. Um, but anyway, um, when I was 10 years old, my mother um, 
she just couldn't do it anymore and she went to bed you know all those pills caused her to lose her mind and um, she be you know my mother is a manic depressive bipolar and she went to bed uh, she had taken up drinking with my father before then and I was just talking to my cousin about that my mother would get you know and it talks about in the big book about women alcoholics you know when they're joined when you can't beat them and join them it's just the worst thing you can do because you know it just messes you up even more she lost her mind you know during that time and but I, before that I mean we would come home and I would have to like you know put her nightgown on and just being a caregiver was you know drilled into me from early on um, when she went to bed you know I had these two lovely little sisters and thank God for them because otherwise I would have died and been sucked up by the vortex of sadness that my mother became you know and also you know although my father was a lovely alcoholic he was a distracted alcoholic because we all know that um, what the disenchantment and sadness that happens when you have an alcoholic parent. You know, you think that nothing is ever gonna happen, you never believe in anything, and you're basically heartbroken before you even know what that means. But anyway, blah, 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 sad story. It sounds like a telenovela, right? But <laughs> it really did happen, you know? So, and then when I was 15 years old, we had a big war in my country and they put me on an airplane and sent me over here. Thank God, you know, that Papi had a good job and had enough money to put me on a plane. I didn't have to run across the river or the highway to get here. You know, they just put me on a plane and um, but I was like, oh, thank God, because, you know, my family made me nervous. I was already through with them, you know, and I came here and, to, and then I started, um, I lived with one of my aunts when I came over here because, you know, um, women are very integral in the Latino culture because they run our families. At least in my family, they do. My mother had nine sisters, and they ran that family. All my cousins run their homes, you know. They're all pretty, but God, you marry one of them, you know. <laughs> There's a... It's okay, because now all my women, all my bosses are women, so I'm okay. I'm like, oh, this is like home, you know. <laughs> it's true. I all have all these very, very powerful um, that are my bosses now. And anyway, so I, 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 like I said, you know, it was the 80s, and it was so fun. And it was just fashion. And I was very fashionable, you know, because I was like, shit, I'm going to dye my hair, you know, and I'm going to, you know, roll up my jeans and just be cute because, you know, I didn't know anything else to do. And, um, but then everybody was like, are you gay? And I was like, God, how rude, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, I would be, you know, I would be very offended by that. Anyway, about you know, so, and then um, at 18, you know, my little, lovely little aunt, you know, she had a little breakdown of her own, and she threw me out on, her, on my, on this, you know, she just told me, you have to go, you have to figure out what to do. And at 19, I moved out, and I started drinking and doing drugs when I was 18, and by the time I was 25, I was already done with it. It was just, you know, I was a, one of those young alcoholics that just runs through it so fast that there's no room for anything else, you know. 
um, within a year, I was homeless. You know, I was a homeless youth, you know, when I was 19. And mind you, I don't come from the ghetto. You know, my, we had, you know, we were not rich, but we went to private schools. We went, to, we had maids. We were like, you know, middle class. But oh no, the minute I started drinking and doing drugs, it was ghetto, ghetto, ghetto for me. And I loved it. I loved all the bullshit that came along with drinking and using. I thought it was some kind of movie. I thought it was some kind of fantasy, you know. And, um, and then recently, well, in the last 10 years, my therapist is the one that taught me. She's like, well, Carlos, that's actually a psychological term. It's called disassociation. It's very dangerous for people. And I was like, how rude, you know. And, but I thought it was some kind of movie. I, was, I lived in weekly motels from the time I was 19 till I was 26. You know, those places where they rent rooms on a weekly basis. I don't know why I thought that was okay, you know. I just didn't know any better. I mean, it was like, it was what I needed to do to get my drinking and, and, and drugs going. So, you know, in the middle of all this, you know, I, I mean, some stories about that time, you know, I always, I work in a studio now, so I always joke and say that my alcoholism was like, you know, Jurassic Park, because at the beginning, it's like, it's all cute, and you're in the little car, and there's a the little music, and then it's like, da 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 na 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 and you're driving by, but then at the end, the T-Rex gets out, <laughs> and everybody's screaming and running. And I was usually the one running, and they were always the ones screaming because, you know, no matter how cute you are, I mean, if you're in your 20s and you're an alcoholic and a drug addict, you're usually cute, but that shit only carries you so far. At the end, people are done with you. At least they were with me. They were like, where the hell were you? You know, what the hell happened to my car? You know, what do you mean we have crabs, you know? <laughs> You know, I didn't know what they were, you know. And, but that's the kind of shit that happened to me. And I'd be like, God, this is so, so problematic, right? And then the other thing that would happen, I was, I love the, you know, our, 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 I love the lesbians and Alcoholics Anonymous. They saved my life. Thank you, girls. You know, I'm old enough to also remember the AIDS epidemic. And if it wasn't for you girls, we would have all died of just... Thank you, you know, you know, because nobody wanted to help us, you know. I remember the 80s and the 90s, you know, it was so scary. Um, but anyway, so, you know, I'm the only gay guy that I know that I would get drunk and I would always end up in bed with girls, you know. And they would always be like, bitch, I thought you were gay. And I'd be like, come on, girl, let's just do it. And then I would come to it and I was like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this, God, you know. But it happened, you know, I didn't get any children almost once, you know, but it didn't happen. And, you know, it's not like it was a secret, you know, like I told you, I was pretty, you know. <laughs> you know, so anyway, and it was a lot of that, you know, I, I also uh, did a lot of crystal meth in my story. I love crystal. I know, I'm sorry. I, this is anonymous, but it says in the doctor's opinion that there are a lot of you know, other substances that we're using. And I started doing 
speed when I was 19 years old. I can tell you where I was parked, who I was with, what color was the sky outside. It was one of those things that my therapist taught me. It's called an imprint. It's like, you know, I was like, oh my God, I am going to do this shit until my teeth fall out. <laughs> and some people do. Some people do, you know. You know, and, um, but I was like, you know, no problem. There was no problem with drinking and drugs, none. There was nothing. And I knew that there was some stuff that was off with me, but I just thought maybe I'm crazy like my mother, or, you know, maybe I'm just, you know, fundamentally broken. There, there's something wrong with me. Um, I didn't know that I was just a drug addict and an alcoholic, you know, and once I took something, I don't know what happens. Incidentally, my cousin that's with me tonight, you know, she was with me the last night I got loaded. I was in San Diego with three of my aunts, not one, three, and my cousin in a hotel. And this is in the 90 kids, with before telephones, before the internet, before, you know, when we really could get lost. And I don't know about you, I love disappearing and falling off the grid. You know, I love doing that. And then I told my cousin, just get out of the car. I'm going to go park the car. I'm going to go buy some cigarettes. Well, I came back the next morning. Because there were this cute boy that I knew that told me, do you want to come over to my house and get loaded? And I heard something else. I thought I was going to get me some, but it didn't happen. But, I, but then you people told me, you cannot hang out with people who use drugs. And I was like, what do they know? Well, you people know. So I got loaded that night and nothing happened. And then I was like, God, that was crazy. You know, they were so mad the next day. I remember she was 18 and I was 25. And I, can you imagine doing that to my, it was like my little sister. I was like, just go in the hotel. I'm going to be back. Come back the next fucking day. No sense of care about anything that happened to anyone. You know, um, that's just the way I operated. So what happened in 1991 is I was going out with this guy and um, we got tested because he was like, you know, whoever I was, I, you know, I was tormenting at the time. And we got tested for HIV and he tested HIV positive and I tested HIV negative. And then it was a big problem, you know, because I was like, shit, it was 1991. It was not like now where you have medicine that works. And, you know, it's so amazing. It was really scary. And then he had that conversation that all young alcoholics have by the person that's, you know, closest to them. You have to get help. I can't take it. You're a pain in my ass. You know, blah, 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 blah. And I always thought, I don't know what the problem is. All I want to do is do a little line, have a drinky poo. Maybe we can hit it. I did not know what the problem was. That when I disappear for the night, you know, it's, it was, I did not understand how that happened. Um, so anyway, he told me I needed to go get help. And then I called this girl and this lesbian that's my Eskimo, and she drove across the city to take me to a meeting, and somehow that really touched my disconnected heart. I didn't, I was really moved by the fact that she took the trouble to help me. 
And then she took me to the meeting, and there I met the wonderful people of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I met you guys, and you guys were lovely to me. And then by that time, I already lived like an animal. You know, my daddy used to come visit me because my mom was out, you know, and my dad used to come visit me, and he used to say, what's wrong with you? What's going on over here? Who are all these people? Because I would always have all these random derelicts around my life, you know. And I wouldn't tell him because I knew that the best punishment is silence. You know, if I just don't tell you what's going on, that's the best fuck you I can ever come up with, you know. And, um, but I went to these meetings and I did not know that I wanted to be sober, but I did not know, I did not, I did know that I did not want my life to look the way it did anymore. And I felt like I was losing my mind already. You know, alcoholics, Alcoholism and drug addiction are serious diseases, you know. I mean, the lady share about losing her son, that's, I'm so sorry about that. You know, no parent should have to bury their child. You know, it's just so awful. I've seen so much of that in the last 27 years. So many stories, you know, of people. I tell one of my sponsees now, because he's, um, he's Indian, he's a dot Indian, and I always say I'm a feather Indian, but he's a dot Indian. And he was in and out for like five years. And that bitch was crazy. And I would tell him, if something happens to you, your family will never be the same. You have three sisters, and they will never be the same. There will be no consolation in this world for them, you know. And he'd be like looking at me, and I said, yeah, because it's no sense in telling you if you die, that's going to be it, you know. Alcoholics, you can't scare an alcoholic with that threat, you know, that you're going to die. It doesn't matter. At least it didn't matter to me. I didn't care about anything about myself. So anyway, so I went to meetings, and people were really nice to me. They were lovely to me. I remember the people that were nice to me. They took me to their house, and I, and I would pick them up, and they'd be like, girl, do you feel safe in this car? And I was like, how fucking rude. Because, you know, I had a little alcoholic car where there was always a draft in the car coming in from somewhere. And they'd be like, do you have insurance? Do you have a license? And I was like, more rude questions, you know. But they were very nice to me. And then, um, you know, and then I moved... Two years later, I moved to Los Angeles because I was living in Long Beach, and Long Beach was boring. And I was like, okay, I'm a young kid, and I don't know about you guys, but you know, when I was getting loaded, I hated boring bitches, and I sure as shit don't like them now. And I always tell people, we are not a grim lot. You know, you have to go out and have fun in sobriety, you know. I love Miss Thing that came out here. I mean, I was like, that's a big girl, you know. <laughs> Ooh. I mean, she had, you know, um, but anyway, I digress. So I moved to Los Angeles, and now I've been sitting with you guys, you know, for 27 and a half years. So I'll try to tell you what happened to me during all this time. You know, I went to, Lo I mean, I started sponsoring people all the time. And, you know, that was really, you know, that's been a journey of its own. I always tell people that alcoholics are the only neurotics that consider, you know, trying to help them an act of aggression, you know. <laughs> I, it's unbelievable. They're like, uh, we feel aggressed when somebody's trying to help you, you know. Um, 
But at the same time, it says in the big book that nothing, you know, but working with others can help you to stay sober. And I really believed them. And I started doing that all the time. You know, I got involved with somebody before, and I was with that person for like six years. And then when I was about five or six years sober, I went home. And I went home, and my mother stayed in bed for 11 days. And then I came back, and I was thinking to myself, I'm going to kill myself. All my sponsees drank. This dude that I was in love with left my ass and then I still thought that God was Santa Claus I thought that if I do everything right God is going to give me everything that I wanted God is not Santa Claus you know but I didn't know that back then so I went back to my sponsor and my grand sponsor and I was like boo hoo hoo boo hoo hoo but being the sensitive people that they are they were like you know what's wrong with you queen my sponsor he said you walk around AA thinking you know everything but you know that man that you used to work for that you stole all that money from, you're gonna have to go pay him back. And what happened was that um, one of the other things I love doing more than anything, you know, besides getting drunk and, and getting loaded was taking stuff that was not mine. So I had stolen like $40,000 from this man. And then I was like, I went back and I was like, see, I knew it was a bad idea to tell you people my business, I knew it. <laughs> and. They all ganged up on me and they said, you're going to have to make your amends and blah, blah, blah. But but that, but that point, it's like in the 12 and 12, and I always read the 12 and 12 and the big book. They're critical. They're important. You have to know about your disease. Please read them because then you'll know when people get up to the podium and they're talking shit. It has nothing to do with Alcoholics Anonymous. Like, for instance, you know, that whole thing about the road gets narrow. It says nowhere in the big book that the road gets narrow. It says we are on the broad highway, you know, that God makes very good terms with those who seek him. You know, it doesn't say anything about the only thing that gets constrained is our ability to be assholes. You know, if you want to be an unrestrained asshole all the time, you know, you're going to have a little problem because, you know, I, I can tell you from my own personal experience, you know. But anyway, going back to this story, <laughs> you know, um, about the money. So I went, I found the guy that I owe that money to and, and, I, and I called back my sponsor and I was like, David, this whole, you know, amends business is not going to work. on embezzlement is open-ended. Guys, so, and, and he was like, don't worry, queen, you're still cute. We'll put some money in your books and we'll come visit you in the jail. <laughs> and I drove all the way to... And step eight, it says, alcoholics will pursue every idea they have except the ones that will build character. And I always thought, I don't know what the fuck what do they mean, build character. You know, well, I went to go pay that man. And my sponsor was like, give him, bring some cash. Don't try to write him a check. And then, <laughs> and then I did. And then... What happened was, he didn't want any of my money. He wanted to give me 
$10,000 to start my own business. Because at that time, I had been like eight or nine years sober. I already was wailing my way in my career that I have now. And he was like, don't worry about it. I don't want any money from you. Why don't we open an agency of our own? I can fund you. You're doing so well. I knew that that was going on anyway. And I came back, Will, and I was like, well, I better not come back with a check. Otherwise, you know, David is going to wring my neck. But what happened after that is I've learned that no matter how difficult my life can be, God always has a better idea. And that God is always going to take care of me, always, always and forever. You know, and after that, you know, my life changed. I was like 10 or 11 years sober. And I started sponsoring people again, you know, and sponsoring people, you know how it is. It's like herding cats, you know, but I... And I did, but I still do it. You know, I try, you know, I, I sponsor people now and I love them. They've taught me so much because also I'm reminded that Alcoholics Anonymous works. You know, it really does. If you have a problem with drugs and alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous works. If you're other type of neurotic and you come here for some other kind of support, we'll be nice to you, but you know, we'll probably find us wanting. You know, when people come back and tell me, I'm going to try smoking pot, I'm like, all right, bitch, try it. <laughs> I'm going to try doing this. I'm like, any other bright ideas? Go ahead. You know, and I tell them, I said, you know, it's, you know we, it says in the big book, we realize we know very little. You know, I'm not going to try to fight with people about the benefit of staying here. You know, the, the Alcoholics Anonymous is for people who want it, not for people who need it. And anyway, and then, you know, the last, you know, gosh, I mean, I can't believe it. The last 12, you know, the last 15 years, you know, I met my husband, you know, um, and we have this life together now. It's not perfect. It's such an imperfect relationship. It's so imperfect, you know. <laughs> But it's like the best relationship I ever had, you know. And, and he's sober, too. He's my newcomer husband. Because I, like, I was like 12 years sober. And I was really, it had been a little, you know, it had been a little, you know, hadn't been raining a lot. <laughs> I was having a little dry spell. And, you know, and there was this cute newcomer. And I was like, shit, he's so cute. And then... And then afterwards, I was like, how much time do you have? And he's like, oh, I only have blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, that's not going to work. I have much, you know, I have 11 years. And he was like, oh, so you mean to tell me that you can sleep with me, but you can't date me? What kind of program is that? And I was like, oh, okay, it's mouthy little one, okay. <laughs> and here we are, you know, you know, and, you know, two, two mortgages later and, and, you know, and a cat, you know. And uh, I know we have a cat. It's sad. I tell him, I said, you know, gay boys have dogs, baby. We don't have cats. And he's like, he doesn't care. He loves his cat. <laughs> anyway, so, um, you know, a lot of things that happened to us, you know, my, my parents got old, you know. Um, that father of mine, that was the biggest resentment. I had to make amends to him. And I did, you know, I made amends to him. The first time I tried, I went to go make amends. And I was like, I'm, Papi, I'm sorry that I hated you because you cheated on my mom and you made her crazy. And, and you didn't like me because I was a gay child. And I turned around and my father was drunk and crying in my car. I don't know where the fuck he got a bottle of tequila, but he was drunk. 
So I came back and I told David, I was like, David, this whole amends business with Papi didn't go well. And he was like, well, that's too bad, Queen. You're going to have to try it again. And I did. And I kept doing. And you know what happened is I grew up. I stopped showing up as a five-year-old or a six-year-old or a seven-year-old, which were the ages by which I got these resentments, these emotional upheavals that they talk about in step four, deep emotional upheavals that, you know, color every relationship that we have. But, you know, it's important to address and fix the things that are broken. And um, I did that, you know, and I was good and I was very helpful with my father. And, um, you know, my father used to call me hijo lindo, you know, which means my beautiful son. And it's because of you guys, you know, because I would have been the crazy. It's funny, when I go home now, you know, my oldest brother, who is also my bully, still calls me the diva of the family. And I looked at him the last time, and I was like, well, it's better than being the village idiot, darling, you know. So, you know, what can I say, you know? Um, but this father of mine, you know, it was so, um, so wonderful because, you know, we just fixed it. And when people say that time doesn't matter, I tell them it's not true. You know, I love what that lady said about all her troubles. You know, I never had any issues. I didn't, I never had any health issues. I have this wonderful career. I have this cute husband. You know, what the hell? I almost feel embarrassed to tell you guys that. But you know, life is happening. You know, my father died of cancer very unexpectedly in like three days. And I had to go home because, you know, that's what you do. And I was so heartbroken. I was so heartbroken. And I tell people that I walked around like they had turned off all the lights in the world. There was no sunshine. I never had that feeling before. They had turned off all the lights in all the rooms. And um, my husband went with me, and I cried from the minute I found out. You know, I cried for about being sober and doing the work is that I was no longer a child. I was a grown-up. I knew what to do, and I got busy. We buried him. We took care of things, you know, and all this stuff happened. And then my mother, my wonderful mother that has been broken for all the time, proved to me what you people told me a long time ago, that our spirits are incorruptible, that we are not what we do, and we are not our disease, that there's something greater. And my mother just came roaring back to life, and she said, no, 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 Papi's in heaven now. We're going to go to Mass. And I thought, going to Mass? What the fuck, you know? Although I was raised a Catholic, we have to go to Mass for nine days. And nine days we went to Mass, and I cried. Like I told you, everything was dark. The world was... And that, you know... One day, two days, three days. And like on the fifth or sixth day, we were sitting in Mass. And during the liturgy, one of the things that they do is they read the names of all the people that are dead. And then I listened. And then I heard there were a lot of names. And I was like, God, that's a lot of dead people. And then 
I turn around and all these people were crying that I didn't know because you people have taught me to pay attention to what's going on outside of me. And then that darkness began to lift because it's by looking at others that I get the relief from myself. It is not by what I do or what I think. It's by why looking at others as my way out of that darkness. You know, I don't know if that would have been possible without Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. I still cry. I will miss my father until the day I die. But I have no regrets because I was good. My mother is old now. We're taking care of that now. Still, one day at a time. Um, you know, and that's not the man that I was when I when I got sober, called Miss Bobby Ballesteros. Miss Bobby was a big transgender woman. She was like 6'5". She had hair down to here. She looked like the woolly mammoth from, um, you know, Ice Age. You know, trunk and everything, I am sure. And she used to be like so nice to me and she'd be like, come here, mijo. And she would put me into her big boss bosom. And Miss Bobby Ballesteros got sober in Laguna Beach, which is a very hoity-toity area of Los Angeles. It's like Palo Alto, you know, over here. And she said that when she got to Alcoholics Anonymous, she looked like the last chapter of What's the Use? And all that was there, you know, Miss Bobby died. She's dead, so I can use her name. And, um, and she said that all the people, there was only, you know, chandelier queens in those meetings in, in Long Beach. And I remember being a little 25-year-old kid and being like, Miss Bobby, what the fuck is a chandelier queen? And she was like, ay, mijo, you're so simple. <laughs> she was like, a chandelier queen is a queen that has chandeliers in their house. And I remember thinking, who the fuck will have a chandelier in their house? Well, I have two. And they're cute. One of them is a baby chandelier, but, you know, she's mine. You know? Anyway, thank you guys for listening to me and for letting me share my story. Keep coming back. <laughs>